The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Big news as the Supreme Court hears a major abortion-related case. What does the future hold? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yeah, it really is big news. It's not not being overstated, not being exaggerated. What's happening in Supreme Court now and scheduled to happen the beginning of December with decisions to be released next year. Uh, very, very major news that could potentially overturn Roe v. Wade. Hey, friends, welcome to the Line of Fire broadcast. This is Michael Brown. If you'd like to weigh in on the subject of abortion in the courts from a Christian or non-Christian perspective, By all means, give me a call, 866-34-TRUTH. Also, tomorrow, major gubernatorial vote for uh, the elections in Virginia. So Terry McAuliffe versus Glenn Youngkins. Will there be a turning back there where Republicans gain control of the gubernatorial seat once again? If so, what does that mean? A lot is being discussed about parental rights and what's being taught to kids in school. And you've got critics saying, look, these parents are racist and don't want their kids to know the truth about slavery. You've got others saying to the contrary, we don't want our kids taught racist ideologies and made to feel evil because they're white. We just want truth taught fairly. So this is going to be a very important election. If you want to weigh in on that question, race issues in the schools, by all means, give us a call, 866-348-7884. Okay, let me review where things stand. After about a year with no action taken, the Supreme Court agreed to hear the Dobbs case in Missouri. This is another fetal heartbeat bill that would outlaw abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, at which point the heart is obviously detected. And the fact that the court agreed to hear it is major because right now the bill was overruled by a federal court. So if the Supreme Court didn't want to make any comment on it and just let it stand, they could say not touching it. In other words, it's fine as it stands. The fact they're willing to hear it indicates to many that they may be willing to act. Now, they may simply say, okay, that law can stand, which will then put a further dent in Roe v. Wade. Or, as the Attorney General of Missouri has requested, they could reevaluate Roe v. Wade and say it is bad law. And as I'll be sharing from an article a little bit later today, even what we know in science and technology today is radically different than what we knew in 73 with ultrasounds and with medical treatments and with more understanding of the development of the baby in the womb. How would the court have ruled with that information back then? It's, It's a fair question to ask. In any case, that's big. We've had Reverend Pat Mahoney on with us several times and others, pro-life leaders, to talk about the significance of that case, which will be heard, the oral arguments, early December, and then decision released. It could be as early as January, could be as late as June of next year. And then Texas passes a bill, but with a unique angle to it. So this bill says... 
no abortions after 10th week of pregnancy. And again, in many cases, a woman doesn't know she's pregnant until about six weeks in. Then you go slightly after that. And basically, it, it would outlaw the vast majority of abortions in Texas. It's been estimated by pro-life leaders that as many as 100 babies have been saved every day since the law went into effect. You say, well, what about the women that, that can't afford or don't want to have babies? Well, there, there is, what is it, a $100 million program to help women that choose to have their babies. And, and adoption is always an option to say, okay, I, I can't keep this baby. I, I, it's conceived out of wedlock. It was conceived against my will. It's going to be too traumatic. We can't afford whatever reason. Then you can lawfully give your baby over for adoption at birth. In any case, putting that aside, what happened with that case is that when it went before the Supreme Court, when there was a protest over the bill and it was overturned, that the court decided by a 5-4 majority with all three of the justices that Donald Trump appointed joining Alito and Thomas, they all said, let it stand. Of course, there was an outrage on the other side, Justice Sotomayor, very clearly others speaking out against the decision, but they decided to let it stand. So the Department of Justice under President Biden, with our tax dollars, right, who pays for the Department of Justice, has now taken Texas to court saying the bill's illegal. You can't do that. And what's unique about the bill is it relies on the general public. If you know of somebody, an abortion clinic that provides an abortion to someone, say a woman in her 20th week of pregnancy, you can report that and it is a criminal offense. So it's relying on the public to say, Let's look at this. And this was an angle they came at intentionally to overcome some of the obstacles in, in front of these bills in the past, because many have passed on a state level only to be shut down on a federal level. A few weeks back, federal, just, uh, federal court stopped the bill short, momentarily, and then that was overturned by another federal court. So the Supreme Court agreed to hear it today. Now, I want to get into some technical details. I, I'm in touch with Reverend Mahoney today to ask, as soon as you have a report on the oral arguments, let me know what's going on. Or as soon as you have a free moment, because he is in the midst of day and night prayer and interacting with others and leaders and, and, and seeking to, to bring about what is best for mothers, for children, for the nation. So I said, as soon as you hear anything, let me know or call the show. Uh, so team, if Pat Mahoney calls in at any point, let, let's get to him immediately if he does call. Otherwise, he'll text me as soon as he has a moment or as soon as he has news. But often, not, not, not indisputably, not incontrovertibly, but often you can tell by the oral arguments what the justices are thinking. And in other words, let's say I'm arguing for the existence of Santa Claus and the judges are all challenging me and mocking my position and saying that's a fantasy, et cetera, and do I actually believe in chimney, you know, in, in slate, uh, you know, the uh, roller coasters, slate, <laughs> slate coasters, that's it, slate coasters going down chimneys with, with fat white men wearing beards. No, okay. Do I really believe in all that? And, and they're ridiculing and, and mocking my position. You get a good idea. Uh, you, you get a good idea that, hey, they don't agree. So sometimes based on the questioning or the strength of one side's arguments and the weakness of the others, you can gauge where things are going. 
But let, let's dig in a little deeper. I want to give you as much detail as we can. Let's start with an article on the Daily Wire. Supreme Court will consider first of two abortion laws Monday. So specifically, what's being ch- reviewed is the challenges to the Texas law, okay? Uh, and it's actually six-week abortion ban. I said 10th. So the Supreme Court on Monday will hear arguments in two cases challenging the Texas abortion law that bans most abortions after around six weeks of pregnancy. The court will hear arguments in Whole Woman's Health versus Jackson and United States versus Texas, both of which challenge the Texas abortion law. So specifically, it is, it is not the law as a whole that's being reviewed, but rather does the Department of Justice have the legal right to challenge the state law? And does Whole Woman's Health have the right to challenge it? So on Monday, the court will deliberate on concerns around the structure of the Texas law rather than consider whether the law violates Roe v. Wade. Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed the abortion law until abortion ban until on May. The law took effect in September and bans almost all abortions after fetal heartbeat can be detected around six weeks of pregnancy. The law does not make exceptions for abortions in cases of rape and incest. The only time the law permits abortions is when the life of the mother is at stake or the pregnancy could cause, quote, substantial and irreversible impairment of a major bodily function. In addition, the Texas law allows private citizens to launch civil lawsuits against anyone who aids or abets an abortion after a fetal heartbeat can be detected. At least one such law has already, lawsuit has already been filed. Okay, so this is the first thing. It is not the bill itself under consideration, but the structure of the bill and whether these other entities have the right to challenge it. Now, now here's something interesting. As it stands, what happens today is separate from what happens in the Dobbs case in Missouri. What happens today and the decision that will come from this is separate than the larger issue of Roe v. Wade. Yet, again, each time that one of these laws is allowed to stand or resistance to to one of these laws or bills is pushed back, then it further erodes Roe v. Wade. And we want to talk about a little later in the show what happens if Roe v. Wade is overturned. But it's, friends, it's really important that we understand these things. You know, I, I know many of you who voted for Donald Trump, a major, major reason was abortion. And in your view, the Democrats are baby killers. And it's a life and death no debate issue to me, to you. And, and to me, it's a non-debatable issue. I, I could not vote for a pro-abortion candidate, period. I simply could not do it. And if it was a matter of a pro-abortion candidate versus an a, a anti-Semitic candidate, then I'd sit the election out. I wouldn't vote for, for either. Or a pro-abortion candidate versus a blatantly racist candidate. I'd, I'd sit the election out. I wouldn't vote for either. That was not the case But I want to encourage you that it's not just a matter of voting, it's a matter of being educated. It's a matter of really understanding the issues. What if Roe v. Wade is overturned? What will the implications be? How will that work out state by state? How will that affect us as individual believers? What is our witness and our community? How can we be pro-life and make it clear that we love our neighbor as ourselves, not just the neighbor in the womb, but the neighbor with the womb, not, not just the neighbor in the womb, but the pro-choice, so-called pro-choice activists down the block. 
How do we maintain our witness and maintain a posture of life, not being angry, not being hateful, not being unsympathetic to the needs of women, especially poor women, or women who had the tragedy, the the, the 1% or less of, of conceiving a baby through rape or incest. How do we demonstrate real empathy, compassion, kindness, while saying, bottom line, that's a baby, that's a human life inside of you. And, and we can't terminate that life to undo an evil that was perpetrated against you or a bad decision that you made or something that happened thoughtlessly while out drunk. You don't terminate the life of another human being to fix these other problems. All right, we'll be right back. How does this case tie in with Roe v. Wade and not? Stay right here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Don't forget to take advantage of the special offers at vitaminmission.com. Yeah, where you get a special discount on all of the amazing health supplements from my friend, Dr. Mark Stengler. And then he, in turn, Turns around and makes a generous donation to our ministry with each order that you place. By the way, he's going to be back on, God willing, on Friday. He loves doing live Q&A. And once again, he's going to be here to answer all of your health, medical-related questions. He, he loves doing it. He enjoys the calls and, and giving recommendations over the years. So I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not qualified to give medical advice and give you solid biblical advice. But uh, Dr. Stanley will be joining us, and, and we've got something special that will be happening on Friday. So be sure to get word out to your friends. Okay, Wall Street Journal uh, editorial board yesterday, the Texas abortion case that isn't. The Supreme Court isn't hearing a challenge to Roe v. Wade. Uh, let me read some of this to you, skipping down a paragraph Despite what you read in the press, abortion rights aren't directly at issue in either case, the Texas case or the Missouri case. The court rejected Texas's request to discuss the law's merits on abortion. Instead, the court will consider in Whole Woman's Health versus Austin Reeve Jackson whether Texas can dodge federal court review by outsourcing enforcement to private parties. See, that this was a big thing that happened. They said, okay... Every time that these bills have passed, they've been shot down by federal courts. So what we're going to do instead is say, well, it's just individuals can enforce this, can report it to the police. And, And this would bypass a lot of the obstacles that have shut down these other bills that have passed. So the Texas law prohibits enforcement by state, uh, excuse me, and and the question in U.S. versus Texas is whether the Justice Department can seek an injunction in federal court against the state. I mean, it is quite remarkable for the federal government to be coming against the state of Texas. Quite remarkable. So the Texas law prohibits enforcement by state officials, instead authorizing private citizens to sue anyone who performs AIDS or intends to perform or aid an abortion after a heartbeat is detected, which is usually around six weeks. Citizens who prevail are entitled to at least $10,000 in damages and legal fees. So Wall Street Journal editorial says, 
In their view, the law is clearly unconstitutional, but they say here's the rub. Federal courts don't have jurisdiction to hear the lawsuit by the abortion providers or the Justice Department, full stop. Federal courts only decide cases and controversies between parties, and both plaintiffs lack legal standing to sue. So here, you may have a case where it is slam dunk, clear, no debate about it whatsoever, that party A is guilty. Party A is guilty of extortion, etc. All the evidence is there. The person is convicted. However, it is then discovered between the guilty verdict and sentencing that some of the statements that were made, some of the incriminatory statements that were used to convict this person were actually illegally obtained. And because they were illegally obtained, the person is now not guilty because the law was violated in carrying out the law. Now, in this case, obviously, I stand with the Texas bill, and I hope it's able to stand and continue to save the lives of innocent babies. That's my absolute hope. And I hope that the Supreme Court will simply say no to these other challenges. And then again, the law currently remains standing. So according to the Wall Street Journal, even though they disagree with the bill, what they say is that these other parties do not have jurisdiction here. They say the justice case is the easiest to dispense with, Just meaning the Department of Justice says it's sued because the law precludes pre-enforcement challenges by the plaintiffs, but the federal government hasn't suffered a concrete and particularized injury to requirements for standing. So if the Wall Street Journal editorial is correct, then Supreme Court will say to the Department of Justice and President Biden, nope, you do not have the right to challenge this bill. Then, even if the Texas law is unprecedented, as Department of Justice claims, the Constitution's Supremacy Clause doesn't grant the feds the free-willing power to sue states whenever it believes they're abridging the constitutional rights of citizens. So that's the first thing. Uh, abortion provides to say it could take months or years of litigation before the law isn't joined. So here is a case actually comes up. Okay, you're guilty. Now you report it. Now this whole thing starts to, to roll. You got to stop it now. You got to do something now. Um, this is where we'll see where the court goes. But as Wall Street Journal says, one mystery is why the court agreed to take these cases. Five conservative justices were criticized, including by their colleagues on the bench, for declining to enjoin the Texas law in September. Perhaps they want to elaborate beyond the language of that terse order so the public can better understand the legal principles at stake. Now, they claim the Texas law will almost certainly be struck down in due course as long as Roe v. Wade remains the law of the land, but upholding the Supreme Court's standing principles is also crucial to the rule of law, rule of law as Chief Justice Ron, John Roberts in particular has long held in dismissing the importance of legal standing, progressives sound like Donald Trump when he derides the court for refusing to hear his challenges to the 2020 election results. A bad Texas law doesn't justify set, setting a bad judicial precedent. So what Wall Street Journal is saying is these cases that are now being brought from an abortion provider and the Department of Justice do not have legal standing, do not have legal merit. So the court hears them and shoots them down. And this bill continues to stand. That's positive. That's positive in that 
people are saying, the justices are saying, hey, we have a system and the system has to work properly. And even if we don't like a particular bill, we still have to uphold our system of law. That would be the perspective. The good news is this is just part one. The more major part is December 1st with the Dobbs case coming before the court. And that in a more direct way could affect the question of Roe v. Wade. So everybody with me so far? I hope you don't mind me trying to dig a little deeper and get into to greater depth here today. But when else are we going to do it, right? When else are we gonna, just going to stop life and think these things through that are so momentous? Okay. Brookings website, the brookings.edu site. What if the Supreme Court reverses Roe v. Wade? So this is from October 5th, so a little over three weeks ago. Um, This week, the United States Supreme Court will open one of the most consequential and controversial terms in recent memory. At stake are cases involving divisive issues such as guns and affirmative action. But by far, the most contentious case will be an abortion case out of Mississippi. Now, this is before the Supreme Court had said that they would also be hearing these objections to the Texas case. Um, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization is about I keep saying Missouri. It's Mississippi. How many times did I say Missouri? It's Mississippi. Mississippi. Dobbs case. Mississippi. Dobbs case. Mississippi. I apologize for misstating it earlier. So you don't don't need to post a thousand times correcting it. We corrected it. It's about a law that states abortions cannot take place after 15 weeks of pregnancy. It makes exceptions only for the life of the mother and for fetal abnormalities, none for rape or incest. The law effectively guts the viability criteria for abortion that has been in place ever since Roe v. Wade was decided a half century ago. All right, so let's scroll down a ways here uh, to where it says this. Today, 59% of Americans agree with the statement that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Within those numbers, however, exists a sharp partisan divide Most Republican voters are anti-abortion. The most Democratic voters are pro-abortion. Well, hang on, though. Abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Does that mean through all nine months of pregnancy? Does that mean third trimester? You start going there and things shift quite dramatically in terms of public polling. But what, what are the actual implications? So Brookings asked, what are the politics of a post Roe world? section in the article, The Politics of a Post-Roe World. What are the politics of a post-Roe world? To even begin to predict this, we need to ponder the importance of intensity in democratic systems. Uh, in Federalist Number 10, James Madison warned of the mischiefs of faction. By a faction, I understand a number of citizens, whether accounting to a majority or a minority of the whole, who are united and actuated by some common impulse of passion or of interest, averse adverse to the rights of other citizens or to the permanent and aggregate interest of the community. So scholars of democracy have grappled with this problem ever since. An impassioned majority can trample the rights of a minority, as Madison feared. But an apathetic majority can lose to an impassioned minority, as the great political scientist Robert Dow feared. So where will the abortion debate go? This involves predicting the level of intensity. For most pro-life voters, abortion is a religious issue. For most pro-choice voters, it is a rights issue. Here's what we can glean from public opinion data. Some polling indicates that over time, abortion has become a more important consideration for voters. 
Gallup, for instance, found that in 1992, only 13% of registered voters said a candidate must share their views on abortions during their vote. This number increased to 24% in 2020. These findings are more or less consistent with a Quinnipiac poll that asked, if you agree with the presidential candidate on other issues but not on the issue of abortion, do you think you could still vote for that candidate? A total of 69% of Republicans said yes, and 62% of Democrats said yes. Thus, in 2016, abortion seems to have been a, major, a motivator for about 31% of Republicans and 38% of Democrats. And it goes on. Bottom line, bottom line is this is ultimately going to be something, if Roe v. Wade, God willing, God helping, is overturned, that is going to be fought with tremendous passion, fought legally, fought local courts, fought in the court of public opinion. It's going to be a pitched ideological battle. We must never forget our goal of changing hearts, minds, lives. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Where do young people stand today on abortion in general in America? Has there been a shifting of of views, a turning of the tide in any way? Are they more entrenched in the, quote, pro-choice position than ever before? Are they leaning more towards the pro-life position? We'll look at that in a moment in this historic day where the Supreme Court heard oral arguments regarding whether the Department of Justice and abortion health, uh, abortion health, whole health, which is an abortion provider, whether they have the right to sue the state of Texas for the Texas heartbeat bill that has been in effect for a few months now. 866-348-788. 884. Welcome, friends, to the broadcast. Uh, I've got some really interesting stats to share with you. I want to share uh, part of a fascinating article written uh, about what we know about the baby in the womb now, how things have shifted since 1973, and then some encouraging news about people who are leaving the profession of working in abortion clinics and becoming pro-life themselves. But first, let's go to the phones. We'll start with Mike in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, love your show, and thanks for having me on. You bet. Um, the, the, uh, the reason I was calling is because I am 100% pro-life. Uh, the concern is, you know, I, I guess with <laughs> with there seems to be a lot of people who seem to think there may have been some funny business in the last few elections. Um, and the Supreme court has failed to stand up so far, uh, for, for life when we have had a conservative majority. Um, is there any reason to think that this time might be different? Yeah, uh, for sure. The, the reason that Supreme court has not reviewed cases with alleged election fraud is, uh, overall the majority view has been that there is no evidence of it and that would have come up otherwise with state courts and things like that. Um, Even Clarence Thomas did not believe there was evidence of election fraud, said, hey, we should have heard one case just to kind of put the thing to rest. Uh, But it it is very different in terms of of, uh, the current constitution of the court. Number one, when it's come to religious rights and freedoms, they've been been good. They've been pretty consistent on that. There have been some uh, issues in terms of the vaccine and mandate that have not gone the way we'd like to see them go, for example, in Maine. But otherwise, 
Uh, the court has been very good in terms of standing with, with freedoms and rights, especially on a religious perspective. That's one. Number two, I mentioned earlier, is that when the Texas law came before the Supreme Court earlier this year, so a couple months back, when it came, when it came before the court in September, uh, five justices, so Alito, Thomas, and then the three appointees right. of, of Trump, uh, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and, and Coney Barrett, all voted and, and said, let it stand. So that was very, very major, uh, that, that they all five went in that direction, and that the court has agreed to hear the, the Dobbs case uh, from Mississippi. So that's, all, that's very positive. Again, who knows? where things will ultimately go and, and where Justice Roberts w- will land on, on this. You know, he's become much more of the swing vote. But there is reason for hope. Obviously, this is big, but we have to continue to preach the gospel and, 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 and change hearts and minds and reach out to, to women who want to have abortions and show them there's a better way. We have to keep doing that. But, yeah, it, it's a fair question to ask, Mike. We never know which way the justices will go. But there is good reason for hope this time around. And we'll know more when we hear the reports from the oral arguments today. That's part one. And then especially the bigger one is going to be uh, in the beginning of December. Well, I will be praying. So thank you very much, Dr. Brown. You are, you are very welcome. Thank you. 866-34-TRUTH is number to call. All right. Uh, I'm going to go through this article from the Wall Street Journal. It is by uh, Grazia uh, Pozo Christi. Imagine her name is pronounced Grazia the way you say thank you in Italian. Uh, October 28th, the obsolete science behind Roe v. Wade. She says, my youngest patients are unborn babies, and today's ultrasounds show they are fully alive and human. So she says the Supreme Court will soon reconsider the decision in Roe v. Wade, which made abortion legal in America through all nine months of pregnancy. At that point in the development of man's knowledge, as Justice Harry Blackman put it in Roe, there was simply no consensus about when life begins. In other words, the fetus could not be said with any certainty to be alive and therefore wasn't worthy of legal protection. As a diagnostic radiologist whose youngest patients are fetuses who are very much alive, I submitted a friend of the court brief in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, that's the Mississippi case, urging the justices to rethink Roe, a case premised on a claim about science. I was joined by two other female physicians, a neonatologist and an obstetrician, who also value their youngest patients, believing that whether inside their mothers or born, premature or full-term, they are worthy of respect and protection. Ultrasound technology was in its infancy in the 1970s, when there was much more uncertainty about life before birth. The first ultrasound machines introduced in 1958 were enormous, and the images were rudimentary. It was only in the late 1970s that fetal ultrasound became widely available, with increasingly detailed images of recognizable human babies. Black and white ultrasound images are now found on refrigerators of expected parents, expectant parents across America. New three-dimensional images have put a human face on the person once dehumanized as a mere clump of cells. Perfectly apparent now to the justices sitting on today's court as well as to the public are the liveliness and humanity of babies at 15 weeks of gestation, the age at which Mississippi proposes to protect them from elective termination. Nestled within their mothers, these fetuses on averages are 6.4 inches long and weigh 4.1 ounces. They have have the proportions of a newborn, seemingly all head 
and rounded belly. The major organs are formed and functioning. And although the child receives nutrients and oxygen through the mother's umbilical cord, the fetal digestive, urinary, and respiratory systems are practicing for life outside the womb. The sex of the child is easy to discern by this point. The baby swallows and even breathes, filling the lungs with amniotic fluid and expelling it. The heart is fully formed, its four chambers working hard with the delicate valves opening and closing. A healthy baby at 15 weeks is an active baby. Unless the child is asleep, kicking and arm waving are commonly seen during, an ultrasound, during ultrasound evaluations. The fetal spine is a marvel of intricacy and is most often gently curved as the fetus rests against the mother's uterine wall. Often I watch as babies plant their feet against the uterine wall and stretch vigorously. Sometimes a delicate hand with all five fingers approaches the face and appears to scratch an itch. Fingernails aren't visible, but they are present. We can see how the bones of the leg meet the tiny ankles and the many bone feet. At 15 weeks, the brain's frontal lobes, ventricles, and thalamus fill the oval-shaped skull. The baby's profile is endearing in its petite perfection, gently sloping nose, distinct upper and lower lips, eyes that open and close. With the advent of 3D ultrasound, we can now see the fetal face and all its detail. These are the patients I encounter daily in my work. I love she refers to them as patients. As a radiologist, clearly human, clearly alive. No longer mysteriously hidden from the eyes and knowledge of man, they ask us to consider them not disposable non-humans, but valuable members of our human family. Yes, our understanding was different in 1973, but in Rose's own terms, we have arrived at a much different, quote, point in the development of man's knowledge about life in utero. The Supreme Court's judgment should reflect that advancement and put an end to the casual cruelty of unfettered abortion. Boom. Well said. Look at the evidence for life. This is aside from what Scripture says. I reposted an article from a couple years back where I reviewed the question, are there verses that support abortion in the Bible? And the answer, of course, is no, there are not. And the verses that point to the humanity of the child in the womb are very strong not simply the potential humanity of the child in the womb, but the present humanity of the child in the womb. As, as a human being with destiny, with potential, with hopes and dreams being embedded inside of it by its creator, with its DNA fully formed shortly after conception. These are the realities. And when you get to, say, radical laws in Virginia and New York, where you can abort a baby for any reason right up until the time of delivery. If the mother is overwhelmed emotionally and says, I, I can't do this, I can't do this, that would be sufficient to abort that baby. Push back all you want. That's, that's the reality under the law. Babies that are fully viable, uh, let alone the, the last moment before delivery, but babies that are fully viable outside the womb could be terminated if the mother simply says, I can't handle it, or there's, there's no way I... I want to do this, and it's going to be destructive to my life in the future. This is how radical things have gotten. This is why it's, it, it, it is the great humanitarian crisis and question of our day. Now, here's something interesting. Article in the Courier-Journal from July of this year, how today's pro-life generation is leading the way in promoting abortion alternatives. What? Today's pro-life generation? What are they talking about? This article is an op-ed by Shu Montgomery, whom, whom I don't know at all. Um, but let me just scroll down to this polling data. A poll commissioned by SLA, so hang on, SLA standing for, 
Okay. Well, Students for Life, that wouldn't be SLA, is it? Anyway, poll commissioned by SLA last January, uh, maybe Students for Life America, uh, measuring how the newest voters ages 13 to four, thir- excuse me, ages 18 to 34 feel about the human rights issue of the day is quite telling. All right. More than seven in 10 registered voters in the millennial and Gen Z generations support restrictions on abortion. Less than two in 10 members of this cohort support what Roe Wade and its companion cases allow abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason. More than four in 10 support reversing Roe v. Wade to allow the issue to return to the states where voters could engage. Almost half support banning abortion after a heartbeat is detected, usually at three weeks, even if you say it at six weeks. As the age range most targeted for abortion, the views of millennials and Gen Z on an industry, abortion that has ended the lives of one quarter of their generation, are extremely relevant. Now, again, friends, I understand a lot of polling is the question that's asked. How is it asked? What does it suggest? How are things phrased? This will often elicit answers very different from from asking the same question differently. However, I've seen the same data consistently in other polls and others active in campus ministry that, yes, there remains vehement opposition to pro-life legislation among many young people, voters 18 to 34. But there has been a, a nice shift there has been a shift in, in perspective. A lot of it through ultrasounds and recognition, the humanity of the baby in the womb. More good news. Stay here. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire. Just putting my cell phone down, I was checking. I saw a text came in, but it was not from Pat Mahoney, eager to get an update on what he has heard about the oral arguments, how they were received, how they sounded today at the Supreme Court. And again, if ultimately, not as a result of today's decision, that would not directly impact Roe v. Wade. But if over time Roe v. Wade is, by God's grace, overturned, pushes things back to the states. So you could obviously have the pro-abortion states and the pro-life states. It could break down like that. It could break down ultimately where people choose to live or living near borders where they can commute to get abortions. And, and, and will God make a distinction? Uh, obviously, it's not the only issue that matters. For example, if you are staunchly pro-life and staunchly racist, I mean, a blatant contradiction, then how is God going to bless that? Or if you are staunchly pro-life but uh, export pornography more from your state than, it, than any other state, I mean, obviously there's a deep contradiction. But all things being equal, will God make a distinction? Will God show that there is a difference? Will he say, here is special blessing on these states that are caring for the life of the unborn and the withdrawal of blessing or even judgment on others that are perpetuating the terminating of babies in the womb. Let me say again, 
whenever we speak to these issues, I know that there are many of you listening who had abortions in the past. And if you're followers of Jesus, you know you've been forgiven for that sin like every other sin that you and I have committed and come to the Lord in repentance and asking for forgiveness. But I know as well that sometimes this opens a wound. So take that pain and turn it to prayer for the unborn. Take that pain and and, and turn it to prayer for young women who are struggling with decisions right now. Take that pain and offer it back up to the Lord that, that he can use your brokenness to save many other lives. And may he use your own story testimony. Some like to proclaim it publicly to help others. Uh, Some hate to even speak of it at all, but your testimony can get out in different ways. May the Lord use it to turn hearts, to turn minds. And may we demonstrate as followers of Jesus, holistic love for the baby in the womb and the child outside of the womb. May we demonstrate just the same love, just the same commitment for the well-being of that child, not just to save the life of the baby in the womb, but to help that baby be born into a life with potential in this world. And obviously, if the, the baby is terribly ill, then we pray for God's healing. And if this baby will not be healed for his mercy and, and taking that child to be with him forever. But the bottom line is, we simply do not sanction terminating the life of the baby in the womb. Speaking of uh, millennials, just just got this note that was sent to us, uh, when was it? October 10th. Once a month, uh, my staff compiles a bunch of testimonies that, that have come. I, I'll see them posted many times during the week, during the month on social media. But then out of all the emails we get, my staff will compile a bunch of testimonies and notes of appreciation sent in so I can see them as well. I'm always aware of the hate mail and the junk that's out there. So we get the good words of encouragement. So just, just during the break, was, was looking at this from, from Mary. Thank you, Mary, if you're listening or watching today. Thank you so much. She said, uh, I'm a millennial and a huge fan of Dr. Brown and want you to know how much his work, radio show, internet, videos, etc., have touched my life, enriched my life, and increased my faith tremendously, especially in the areas of culture, morality, politics, strengthening of faith, never compromising, and letting love shine in the lives of others. Also, I've been so richly blessed with all of the Israel content and the Jewish roots of my Christian faith as well. On a more personal note, Dr. Brown has been a source of comfort, wisdom, learning, knowledge, and insight as I navigate my own life. And I always look forward to hearing his smiling, compassionate, and happy voice that delivers truth on radio daily. All of these positive changes in myself would never have been possible without Dr. Brown. Truly has touched the lives and hearts of so many people, but I know without a doubt that I would not be the person I am today without Dr. Brown's ministry. He's been a godsend for me personally. Then speaking about the Revival or We Die books, I'm very excited about my upcoming order of books. I just wanted to write to you and express my immense gratitude and appreciation for all that Dr. Brown and this ministry has done. In closing, I will keep Dr. Brown and this ministry in my prayers daily, and I will definitely keep donating as I can. Please continue to shine the Lord's light in the stark world, and may God bless you and make you succeed and all that you do. Uh, Mary, that, uh, that really touches me because that's why we do what we do uh, for people like you. And, and to hear the results of our ministry in your life, uh, it brings me tremendous gratitude, our, our entire team. It brings us tremendous gratitude to God that we've been allowed to serve and be such a help in your life. And friends, it's our goals to serve many millions more in this way. 
to be a voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity, to, to infuse you with faith and truth and courage, you can stand strong for the Lord. And, and we want to see Messiah's body, the body of Christ, healthy and thriving so that God's purposes can be fulfilled through us so that the world can see what the gospel is all about. The world can see who Jesus really is through us and that you and I can experience everything God put us here to experience and, and that you and I can be changed by the presence of God and, and by being changed, we can go and bring about change to others. So I, I want to ask you to do something very simple and it's something every one of you can do, all right? Will you pray with us that God would amplify our voice, enable us to blanket the nation with this broadcast? Yes, we have access, of course, on on internet. Many of you watch on Facebook or YouTube. Many more listen by way of podcast. So we pray that, that those venues would continue to grow by the blessing of God. Of course, share broadcasts with your friends. Turn them on to the line of fire. We are really deeply, seriously praying about massive radio expansion. Radio is actually as strong as it's been in many years. During COVID, it's gotten even stronger. More and more people back to listening on radio. We know it's the purpose of God. I can't tell you how many times God has laid this on my heart to pray. Every day we come in to broadcast, and it's my prayer that God will enable us to touch many, many more lives. So would you do that? Would you pray that God would deepen our voice with even more compassion, grounded even more in the Word, even more full of God's Spirit, that He would deepen our voice and amplify it to the nation? It's for His purpose, for His glory. You know, George Whitfield used to pray, let the name of Whitfield perish, that the cause of Christ may live. It's not a matter of promoting my name or line of fire, your name or your church or our denomination or whatever it is. It's a matter of lifting up the Lord, making Him known and standing for the cause of truth and equipping the body and reaching those who don't know them, especially the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So would you believe God with us in prayer? I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, All right, just looking up at our phones here. Okay, tell you what, let let me go over to this, this other story. This was on Life News, October 30th, 223 abortion clinic workers have left their jobs and become pro-life. I don't know the exact time frame in which this happened, but it happens on a regular basis. Love Life Charlotte, which just became Love Life as it's working in different states and even in different nations, on a regular basis has seen security guards leave the abortion clinic, get right with God, join the pro-life movement. Nurses, even doctors, leaving the abortion industry, washing their hands of it and becoming pro-life. Some had a weak relationship with the Lord when they got strong in the Lord, that brought about the change. Others, when they came to know the Lord, that brought about the change. We had a wonderful call some years ago from a woman who was a professing Christian, a believer, at at the time she took a job, single mom, needing income, got a very lucrative offer from Planned Parenthood, worked for them, and called in the show one day as a Christian and said, should I be doing it? And I told her, you can never go back again. As the conversation went on, she broke down weeping about what she had seen in the clinic and the so-called POC, products of conception, weeping, their little babies, their little children, hands and feet. And and we were able to connect her with friends that helped her during a time of financial transition. Planned Parenthood wanted her back, offered her even more money. And she is staunchly and strongly in the pro-life movement today. And... 
healthy in the Lord. That's the, the biggest thing of all. So again, I don't know the, the specific dates. Um, <clears throat> the article says recently in the Western United States, the 223rd abortion worker quit her job with the support and encouragement of the local 40 Days for Life team. She said she admired Abby Johnson, and she told me that she is going to get baptized to the local campaign leader. She's not the only one in the southeastern part of the country. Another abortion worker also left her job, and on and on. So they've documented 223. Again, I don't know over what period of time, but the cause of life will triumph. So be encouraged. We pray for the court, Supreme Court, to make the right decision. The Texas case, and then especially the Dobbs case from Mississippi, beginning of next month, and then the decisions announced next year. We, we pray for the Supreme Court to do what is right. We pray for local courts, federal courts to do what is right. But above all, let us do what is right. Let us extend the message of the gospel to a hurting and dying world. Let us give a message of hope and life that attracts people to Jesus. Yes, to follow him, we leave everything. Our, our, the gods of this age and the rule of our own life, we leave it all and we say, Lord, I'm yours. Here I am. Send me, use me. I want to be yours forever. But no one who has truly and fully given their hearts to the Lord and lived for him lives with regret in doing so. Quite the contrary. There's terrible regret in not. Choose life, the word says, that you and your children may live. Another program powered by the Truth Network.